a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Jenny, can you believe it? It's been a year. No, we're to the end of the year already. That is so crazy how fast time flies. I know. I can't believe it. We started our podcast, I think it was, we start recording in September, October. They started releasing in November of last year. And here we are. It's December. We're closing out the year. And we are today going to have a best of our year. (laughs) Which I'm so excited because from week to week, life gets so busy that you'll have an awesome episode where someone shares something so inspiring and uplifting. And then you get busy for a few days. And then the next Tuesday comes around and there's another incredible episode of life lessons and experiences. And today we get to kind of pause for a minute, slow down. Look back over the past year and take out some of these gems that some of our guests have shared with us and hopefully remind us some of those lessons we've learned. I think that's what this podcast is all about, right? Right. Connecting people, finding that shared resilience, that it's not at all an independent thing. But here we are. We're going to dive into some of these great experiences some of our guests have been kind and brave enough to share with us. Yep. I'm excited. Well, let's get started. All right, so Michelle, this first one is from the very beginning of 2021, my good friend Cindy, and it's interesting because her story is kind of a little of a merger of your story and mine. Yeah. Her husband served in the military but died from cancer. I remember this story. six kids and just an amazing, remarkable outlook on life, trial after trial after trial, and yet this perspective she shared with us. Let's look back at this clip she shares with us, this great mountain analogy which is so perfect for this effort where we're constantly trying to climb out of the darkness of our our life experiences. Yep. And one of my kids taught me this lesson that I love. It's about mountains. If you imagine a really, really tall mountain and about a third of the way up, what do you notice? What's different? About a third of the way down from the top of the mountain, things change. It's more rocky there's not really many trees and there's not as much greenery and that's on purpose because it's in the valleys that we grow. It's in that hard upward climb that we experience the most growth. We all want to get to the mountaintops to have that perspective. And I feel like we do at times. And when we're up there, I can look back on my life and I can see how the trials and the experiences I've had have shaped me and built me. And I can look forward and I can see where the things that I'm going through right now are, are leading me and they're good places. But then, you know, I'll have a great day like that where I have that perspective. And then the next thing, you know, I'm down in the valley and I can't even see the sky. And so it's important to hang on to those perspectives and to recognize that, you know, trials are the blessings. They, that they bring that learning and those added things into our life that can't come in any other way. Oh man, this was huge for me. I remember her saying this and it just hit home and I thought it was so cool because it's also our logo. Which you had designed from this concept of what resilience looked like in your soul. Mm -hmm. And then it's like Cindy came along and said, yeah, let me explain that to you. Let's talk about what this is. It was great. That climb. Mm Mm-hmm. How many times in our life, though, like we're in those valleys and there is no perspective, right? Right. We're in the hard part and the hard part seems daunting. There isn't vision. And sometimes you can't see the path to even get started on that uphill climb. Well, and I think of like on a hiking in the valley that the valley tends to be colder. It's Mm -hmm. thicker. There is the growth, which is great and beautiful and green. Mm -hmm. But 
the sun only reaches from that top and it, it's you're in the shadows and you're in that darkness. And isn't that how we often feel in those trials? But I love her perspective to say that that's where the growth is taking place. It in is. That difficulty. Yep. And we all want to get to the top because things look pretty from the top, but there's no way to get to the top without passing through that valley. And it's in those hard, dark places that that growth is grinding the edges off of us, is refining us, is making things, it doesn't feel great at the time, but it is creating a pathway through. And once you get through that, that's when you do have the perspective. And it's often those times when you are up on the mountain that you look back and you can say, oh, Oh, I see now. How often have we all done that? We get through the trial and we can look back. I love how Cindy said the trial is the blessing. That's hard. Yeah. That's hard to say out loud. And yet I think of the mere strength that comes. I've heard you say that many times. Well, it's because I know it's true. That doesn't mean I like it. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, that's, that's something that we can look at the struggle, you know, back to this analogy of a mountain climber. The struggle, yes, it gets you to the top of the mountain, but it leaves you stronger when you're at the top of the mountain. Right. That that grit, that grind you mentioned is where the muscle is developed, where the stronger lungs are developed. I mean, you could take this analogy to all new levels, but I just love how she shares with us that we've got to keep that perspective, knowing that we're going to get to the top at some point, and some days we feel like we have this beautiful view, and some days we're dropped back down in the valley, and that's okay. Yep. That's okay. It's okay to have that growth. It's okay to have to hold on. And it's okay in the middle of that growth to admit to yourself, I have no idea where this is going. You know, talking about hope, I think sometimes we think hope is this fairy tale belief. It's all going to work out exactly like we planned, mm-hmm. which is a lie. But real hope is being honest that this doesn't look a thing like I thought it would. And we're still going to be okay. Yeah, We're going to put one foot in front of the other. I'm going to act on the belief that there is something to see later, that there is growth to be found. And sometimes it takes a heck of a lot of courage just to tell yourself that. And time. I hate that that's always the answer. I know. It's never easy, right? It's just not easy and it's a process. And I think that that's the hard thing. I think it's hard for kids today. I had this conversation with my son before even coming in here. It's kind of ironic. This is our first one we're covering, but... It's it's in the hard trials. It's in the moments that we are either making choices to better ourselves or we're not helping ourselves. Right. And s- sometimes our trials are trials of our own choosing. Even if we think we aren't, we are. Sure, sure. And, um, and sometimes those trials are things that come our way, which we have no control over, whether it's a husband serving who is shot and killed in action or a husband who's living his life and one day says, I'm not well. Yeah. Take me into the and hospital. And here comes that diagnosis. And here comes the diagnosis and it's too late to even do treatment. Yeah. So, yeah, she was powerful for me. And I remember this was last February I, or no, she came on. I can't remember when she came on. Yeah, February, right at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So yeah. it was a powerful story for me. And of course, it was hard because it did it did uh, touch those trigger points, right? How that truth can really resonate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful woman. But I love tying it back into that beautiful logo that you designed had designed for us. I picture that mountaineer, and he's climbing, pulling himself out of the valley using a rope. Yeah, using one arm at a time, one pull at a time, one yep. step at a time. And isn't that what life is? We've sometimes they say, you know, tie a knot and hang on. Yeah, um, reach out, yeah. reach up, and just keep going. And I think we could summarize it with just that: that you've got to reach out, reach up, and just keep Just going. Just keep going. Yep. Okay. All right. Our next one is a f- great friend of mine, Jeff Smith. And oh my gosh, I love this man so much. And he talks about wearing uh, rose-colored glasses can be helpful, which I thought when he f- was first talking, I'm like, well, I like don't know. That contradicts all psychology I've ever studied. Right. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I don't know where he's going with this, but actually... It, uh, Let's listen to the clip because it's really was talking about his experience after losing his eyesight, how he has memories ingrained in his mind and how he overcame a negative mindset that initially came with losing his eyesight. But then he talks about the source of his optimism and complaints as a form of grieving and how his faith has helped him to shape who he is. He's a wonderful man. And if you ever meet him, I I was really surprised when he came on and shared the story because I've never experienced him being negative in any way. So Mm -hmm. for him to openly talk about how he was negative and 
unhappy and kind of in a, a in a dark place. It was a real shock to me because it's never been who I experienced. Yeah. All right, let's listen to that clip and see what a man losing his eyesight has to teach us about perspective. And I recently found some something else that I've been involved in with with my sweet Margie. It's called um, Fulfill Life Yourself. And I won't go into a lot on that, but the, the, one of the critical things I, I've learned there is as, as human beings, there are only three powers that we have that are completely within our power and our control. Number one is focus. What are we focused on? We have the right to choose that. We can choose where we place our focus. Secondly, after we've chosen the focus, we can decide what meaning we're going to put on that focus. Is that is the meaning, is it important or is it not important or somewhere in the middle? And then lastly, what what is our attempt, what what is our action to engage in that focus and that meaning? And again, we have a choice there. So in a lot of things in my life, I've chosen to focus on the good, focus on the positive, and even though I'm blind, I wear rose-colored glasses. See, isn't that awesome? Instead of rose-colored glasses being the crutch or right. the excuse or the weakness, he's he's using it as a tool. Yeah. That's a coping mechanism, a resilience mm-hmm. to say, I'm going to choose to be optimistic. I'm going yeah. to choose to direct my attention. I love his three things that we can control. Right. And so what I loved about his whole message there is the focus, the meaning, the action. There's intention of choice in every single step along the way. And here he is faced with a condition where he has no choice, but he finds a way to find power and meaning and choice within the process of healing and being able to move forward. And I love that because it puts you back in the power seat. Right. It's like that control. How many of us just want mm-hmm. to control something in life? Some, I need, I need to feel like I have control. And he's saying, yeah, you can. You can control the focus. You right. can control what you look at, what you what you fixate on. And or, the meaning and that the you're going to give attached to it, right? And the action that you're going to take. Yeah. And how powerful to see that focus as what gives us rose-colored glasses. I mean, we we can all wear dark glasses all day long. Mm-hmm. We can look at the best of circumstances and find that dark cloud, right? Mm-hmm. It's there. And I think in today's world, it's so easy to see and feel that yeah. darkness. And yet to say, I'm going to put on my rose-colored glasses and not in a naive way. I don't feel mm-hmm. like he's just saying he's going to la-la-la-la-la, look right. around and ignore right. what's difficult. He's embracing what's difficult and choosing to be optimistic anyway. How powerful right. is that? I think it's powerful that... Here is a blind man who is choosing to say he's wearing rose-colored glasses when he sees nothing at all, right? But what he's doing is he's like, I have no control over this, but I have control on where I place this focus and the meaning right. and the actions I take moving from here out. And I choose to see the world in a better light. And I love that. And how beautiful for him, a blind man, yeah. to teach the rest of us how to see. Yes. Isn't that powerful? Powerful. powerful. Okay, really, these are, I, I hope anybody else listening is getting some life tips out of this because I know Michelle and I benefit from every story shared. Our listeners, our guests have just blessed our lives in so many ways. Okay, we're going to be right back. We're going to take a quick break and jump into another one of our best ofs from early spring 2021. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do? 
in the face of an international disaster decades in the making. That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. All right, and we're back and we're sharing just some of the best ofs from this year, 2021. And Michelle has one of our favorite clips of the entire (laughs) existence of this podcast that we really just want to get on a (laughs) t-shirt. Let's hear it. So this is what I tell my kids, Michelle and Jenny, be mad and get over it. (laughs) Can I quote you on that? (laughs) You can quote me on that. Yes. That's our good friend, Sue Duckworth, who yeah. has lost her husband, who had been scammed out of a lot of money in a, in a, a dating incident. Um, dating app who scammers. had a lot of reason to be mad, let's yeah. be honest. But I love how she just says, be mad and get over it. Like, where's that on my T-shirt? Feel the emotion. Yeah. And then take the step forward. Is that not what resilience is? Yeah, it is. And let me tell you, she is living her best life. She is out uh, sailing with a man that she met who is real and alive. And I've spoken with him. Not just after the money. And she checks in with me on the regular. And she's a great friend of mine. I love her to death. I would do anything for Sue. It's really awesome to see someone who's in our situation who really wanted to find connection and love again right and she is finding that so and to find that even though she got burned and had that that difficulty that would have been very easy for her to close herself off and say never again i won't trust again i won't try again but again be angry and and get get over it it. and that is i love it it's a great lesson yes and now we're going to share a clip from my good friend julie who is you know she's a widow that knew she'd be a widow from pretty early on. She married her husband already not in great health. He had had cancer as a child and had some different conditions that I remember when I first met her and getting to know Julie, she talked about this realization she had from pretty early on that she would long outlive her husband, which mm-hmm. is very different from you and me. Yeah. I mean, you had a couple she years made of a choice horrible going diagnosis. In. Yeah. Yes. And she chose love anyway. I know. Anyway, isn't that amazing? But she talks about what she calls the most beautiful disaster. Let's hear what Julie has to teach us on that. Yeah, Jenny, it was the most beautiful disaster you've ever seen. Like beautiful in that. So first of all, let's go back to Gary's amazing sense of humor. Like he's hilarious. He was like, dude, I'm going out with a bucket list. And Mm -hmm. we had so much fun with his bucket list. So you were able to fill those last months with beautiful moments and memories. Oh my gosh. Every single, so every day, Gary and I had a deal towards the end. He was so sick that he was on oxygen in a wheelchair. It was really hard for him to get out. Mm -hmm. But I said, you're not going to sit down in this basement and die alone. Every day we go outside. And so, and we went on a date every single day. Isn't that tender to think, you know, he'd been ill much of his adult life. Yeah. And then toward the end, it got to where he was really sick and, mm-hmm. and difficult to get up, difficult to do anything in a wheelchair with oxygen and yet choosing to live that bucket list. I love choosing that to embrace on a date every single day. That oh, that's like be- the most romantic, beautiful thing ever. That beautiful disaster. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many moments in our lives could we call a beautiful disaster? Now, again, there comes in those rose colored glasses mm-hmm. that we just learned about that we can choose to focus on the beauty or the disaster. Yep. And it's the same as the the valley or the peak, you know, all of these kind of tie together so beautifully. But I love where Julie shows that resilience, a lifelong battle for physical health and yet a lifelong determination to live life to the fullest. How beautiful is that? I know. I I was so touched by her story. I still want to meet her and go out to I know. To, we to need lunch. to have a giant widow lunch. It's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> I know. Actually, you know what I want to do at some point? I would love to have a giant um, guest lunch where oh, we host everybody. I don't know if we can afford to do okay, that. Okay, we're going to have a party. If you've been a guest on the show, come to the party. If you haven't been a guest yet, this might be your incentive to tell us your story. Right? You can go to lunch with me and Michelle. We can do a year of guest yes. uh, and have, I, I don't know, I would really love to serve great. these people who have shared their stories with us and be able to see where they are today. I know right. that just hearing their stories helps me be able to have perspective in my own life and my own trials and it means a lot to me. I hope that they're getting as much out of it as I am from them sharing right. it. And each other. I think we hear each other's stories yeah. and, and find that strength. 
Another great story from earlier this year, if you all will remember, we, around Memorial Day, interviewed a great series of military survivors who yep. had lost loved ones in the service to our country, including Wendell Pelham, who is the father of U.S. Army Specialist John Alexander Pelham. And what he had done, this young man, Alex Pelham, who was a Green Beret, who just grown up wanting to be a soldier, wanting to serve, um, and then unfortunately was killed in an insider attack in Afghanistan. And his family now has carried on with a great legacy that they call Live Like John, carrying on um, their son's first given name. And let's let's hear what Wendell has to say about resilience in his mind. Yeah. Let's talk resilience. I think as human beings and as Americans, we don't have a, a lock on being resilient. There are so many different ethnicities and different cultures around the world that are amazingly resilient. As Americans, you know, we have the opportunity to to live in a land in, in the land of the free uh, because of the brave and the home of the brave and resilience to the Pelhams looks like we're going to do everything we can to honor John. And in honoring John and his legacy and his life, we get to honor my older brother who was in multiple foreign lands in wars and conflicts. We get to honor my father who, you know, served in Vietnam and served in other capacities all over the United States and all over the world, defending the freedoms that we enjoy. So resilience looks like we get up and and each day we go forward with a purpose and a task to make sure that everyone understands why we live like John. When John was killed, a group of his friends got together and and got got to have lunch. And it was literally four days after John was killed. And one of the guys said, hey, look, I just have to live my life more like John. I have to have I have to have greater purpose, greater drive, greater resolve to do more. And that's where the term Live Like John came from. And Live Like John, we decided to use that term and create a foundation so that individuals would know that there is life after death for a family, that we're going to grieve. Everybody's going to grieve. There's no way around it. I mean, I'm I'm seven years into this process. Um, the journey has been, it's been amazing. Um, we know that it is the most tragic event, the most horrific event, that most families will ever go through the loss of a, a husband, wife, son, or daughter, brother, sister, and uncle, cousin. The the unit has been disrupted. And we know that through the pain and through the suffering and the grief have come for the Pelhams some of the most amazing spiritual, emotional, uh, physical blessings that we never would have had had John not died in defense of his country. There it is again, the idea that the blessing is in the trial or the tragedy, the idea that this beautiful disaster does have beauty. I love how Wendell talks to us about this sense of purpose, a greater drive, a greater purpose, a greater resolve to do something. And I also love that, you know, particularly being from the perspective of a family that suffered a military loss, that when Wendell says when they honor their son, John, they're also honoring all others who have served and how beautiful that is that, you know, we can look to our own soldier or or military member. And of course, there's a special place in our hearts for that individual. And yet the honor is to all of them Mm -hmm. throughout generations of time, the different conflicts, the different battles. Some live through the battle, some die in the battle, some come home from the battle with really deep emotional or physical wounds or both. And I just love how the Pelham family has chosen to move forward, to live like John. Mm-hmm. Again, he acknowledges, we see so many recurring themes. He acknowledges the grief. Mm-hmm. He acknowledges the darkness. He calls it the most horrific event. And then 10 seconds later, he's talking about beautiful blessings. Yeah. And I think, again, there's the rose-colored glasses that don't mm-hmm. mean ignore or pretend or sweep under the rug. Those right. raw emotions But don't let the raw emotions consume or crush you. Rather, face them, experience them, embrace them even, and then take one step forward one at a time. What I like both about going back to uh, Jeff and as well as uh, Wendell's stories is it's not about toxic positivity, right? They acknowledge the pain, the grief, the suffering, and then they choose, they make a conscious choice to look for the good and to create good from a terrible event. And that is what resiliency is about. Right, right. 
So now let's take a quick minute and shift away from the conversation of burying a loved one and that form of resilience that's Mm -hmm. required. Like you said, the life after death, we're still alive after their death. We're going to talk for a minute about one of our great episodes. Do you remember, Michelle, with Nicole Martin Mm -hmm. in the summer when we talked about Alzheimer's and that disease that in the end does often lead to the death of the loved one. But it's not just the death that is the tragedy or the trial. It's the entire diagnosis, that entire time of that, um, what Alzheimer's does and how complex the emotions that can come into the family members trying to care for the person who's suffering from that terrible, terrible disease. Yeah. And it's complex. Like my, my mom has this diagnosis and she's in California. So I can't be there as a caregiver. I would like to be there more than I, I've been able to. I can't do that because of my distance. And it puts a lot of pressure on my dad to be that full-time caregiver. And that's hard. And I know how difficult that is. And it's once again a story of a friend. Nicole's a friend of mine. And I watched her going through this while I was watching John go. And then during that time, my mom would get diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I'm now serving on the Alzheimer's Community Board for Policy, and it is important work, and there's a lot of just people don't realize how many people are suffering and die from this. It's, I think it's the top three. It's the third reason of death in Utah. Wow. So um, I think heart disease and cancer might be on top of that, but so let's it's, so it's really high up there, and, and it's an important topic to, yeah. to talk about, but she's... she. She has a lot of great advice for anyone who's going through this. Yeah, let's hear what Nicole shared with us. When I was around her, what I could still feel was love. And I knew that she didn't know who I was. She had no idea. But I knew that she knew that I loved her. And she knew that she loved me. And I still on my phone have a little video um, of her in that kind of last year I'd take her out to lunch and, you know, gibberish. I mean, we were talking gibberish and then all of a sudden she touched my cheek and she told me how beautiful I was. Oh, and I will always keep it. And again, that's what I knew was Alzheimer's could take everything, but that kind of nugget of love that just never extinguishes. Yeah, to think of everything that you lose as you watch someone struggling with Alzheimer's. They lose their memory, lose a lot of their capacity, lose recognition of a daughter, a close, close family member. Mm -hmm. And yet for Nicole to say, through it all, Alzheimer's could not take away that love. And how powerful. Death cannot take away that love. Cancer cannot take away that Mm -hmm. love. All of these trials and these, these terrible things that we experience in life cannot take away the love. And I would hope even those darkness dark moments don't take away our memories and yeah. and the memories that are etched in our minds. And, you know, we joke all the time about widow brain being as mm-hmm. fuzzy and foggy as it is. So I'm a big fan of writing things down and taking pictures, mm-hmm. recording those memories and those moments, not just in your mind, but in a hard copy as well, when and where you can. Yeah. Oh, she was such a, a huge resource for me, the, her process being that she was so open with it. Yeah, it's powerful. I think we have a little bit on those photos. Because remember, she spoke of that photo shoot she did with her mother. Yes. I will never forget. She and did her you? mom got, I looked yeah. at the photos, they yeah. were touching. Uh-huh. She and her mom got all dressed up and beautiful and then had a, a photo shoot in that happy together moment where her mother was losing all of those those capacities. And yet that love is still evident in those photos and how priceless they are. And then we talked with Nicole and, and shared a little plea for if you are alive and creating memories and moments, take pictures. Yep. So we're going to put in a shameless plug for take more pictures. Whoever's yes. listening, whoever you love, no matter how long you think you are going to live, take more pictures. My kids make fun of me because I take selfies of me with them all the time. But it's because I'm grateful my husband took a lot of pictures and and things with the kids. And I look back, I lost my dad at a young age. I have maybe a handful of photos where we're even in the picture, even photos of him total. I mean, the the 80s, it's not like we had cell phones running around in our hands. So take more pictures. And more video. And more More video. Capture what you can capture because long Mm -hmm. after they are gone, that can last. That can last for your children, your grandchildren, generations. So, shameless plug for document your life. You 
Almost everyone listening right now has some smartphone in their hand almost 24-7. Take pictures. Don't wait for the perfect moment. Capture that. Oh, and I and voice, right? I, I threw that in there. Um, we, John, recorded some Build-A-Bear little messages. My grandkids have worn theirs out, and they were not able to be recovered. And we did record them, but the mom recorded them on her cell phone, and when her cell phone updated, it lost the recordings. Oh, no. Yeah. That's so tragic. So I'm going to say take more videos, record voices, and record messages to your loved ones. Oh, and I just love that. back it up. Just back it up. That. Have a little file on there for just little messages or little love messages well, to your loved think, ones. Think how technology can work to our advantage mm-hmm. in this to keep a loved one with us in many ways. I love that you mentioned the voice. Yeah. Um and I don't know about you, but there are times if I close my eyes it might be hard to remember what Brent's voice sounds like yep. or what my dad's voice sounded like. And so to have an audio or video recording of that, in a way, it's almost as if you're transporting them back. And, and of course, nothing can replace the actual memories in your heart and mind. But I find that those, those videos, those photos, those audio, even a it's written huge. record yep. jogs the memory and can take you yep. right back. So this is a big plug. So important. Put technology to work. Your phone has a camera. It has a video camera and it has a voice recorder. So no yeah. excuses. And don't wait for the big orchestrated staged moment. Yeah. It's the little things. Yeah. If you're thinking about your kid right now, you have a child that you have concerns or love for, record yourself in a selfie and put it in your file and make sure that those files are shared. And, um, you know, don't wait. Don't wait for the big thing to happen. Darcy Van Orden also came on to talk about losing her father to Alzheimer's. And oh, my goodness, that that was a hard and rough one as well. But both of these ladies sharing their stories, I know them in the real world. They helped me to be able to figure out how to process losing my mom on top of the grief that I'm dealing with my husband. And I hope that other people will just take note of, of these and really realize None of us get a promised day. Tomorrow's not promised. The rest of the day is not promised. So start taking time to do these little things. Take the video, take the picture, share the files, have a shared Google photo account with your family and share those things. Do it now. And don't don't wait for that someday that we don't know if it will ever even come. Yeah. I love this. Darcy Van Orden, the reason I brought her up was because she actually came over and recorded videos for my children of John. Oh, how precious. And she did that for me. And I, I, she just, I will always love and appreciate her for did that. Did I tell you about the time I found some old video files on an old laptop? No. Where before Brent deployed the very first time, we were so young. He was, you know, young and oh, thin you guys were and bald. So cute. You know, just, shoot, just short, short soldier crew cut. And he made a video in which he's he made a, a series of videos for me to listen to on different days. And it was 2007. Of course, I've listened to them before. I knew they mm-hmm. existed, forgot completely about them right. until maybe two or three months ago. And so it is. It's I can put him on the screen of my laptop talking to me. And besides the fact that he's 10 years younger, um, it's almost as if I'm Skyping him. You know, uh, it's in a, it, in a way that almost feels like he's back for a which, moment. So, I mean, you guys, that use, was part of your relationship. So it, it I is. totally get that. Use the technology we have, people. Use the technology. By the way, we're coming out of Veterans Day when we're recording this uh, just a, a week or so and out of Veterans Day. And we have just had a Brent Taylor Foundation gala event, which was amazing. But it was fun to see all those pictures and the pictures that you've been posting. And you guys were so... <laughs> So adorable. And you can just see the adorable adoration and love for one another in those photos. It it just it makes me so happy to see them. And then and then the next breath is sad. Yeah. Sad that you don't have him here. It's a beautiful disaster, right? I mean, I keep so many of these best of moments we're sharing have the highest highlights. Cindy said Mm -hmm. you're on the mountain peak. Beautiful. It's a great crashing down. Yeah. But, you know, let's we're going to take a break and then come back for another segment with a couple more clips, including from another veteran and a different side of the military life that isn't in um, necessarily the bravery. It's not in the casket with a flag, no. but the mental health challenges yeah. that so many face. We'll be right back. All right.
All right, Michelle. So if you remember, speaking of veterans and mental health, we had my really good friend, Babe Kwasniak, who himself was a graduate of West Point, a captain in the U.S. Army, um, by all intents and purposes from the outside, successful in his after-military life, financially, beautiful wife, healthy kids, and yet he struggled with mental health. He tried to take his own life. And he now is kind of on this mission to help other people, particularly veterans, to find a way to hang on tight, to not get to that point where you feel like you and those around you would be better off without you. But I love when he tells us this about not letting anyone else write our story. Let's hear what Babe has to say. Um, that was something that, that my grand my, my grandpa Babe taught me. You know, don't 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 you ever let somebody you know write your book. Um, don't you ever let somebody you know label you and. At that moment, I decided, okay, I'm going to West Point. You think I can't make it? And it was the same thing when I talked to that doctor. Like, okay, I'm taking this job, and I'm going to show you. And I did. I was rookie of the year, sales rep of the year. You write your own story. Yeah. And I think to myself, like, holy smokes. And, and I use the hashtag on my social media of winners win. And when I'm talking about that, I'm not talking about the scoreboard. I'm not talking about, like, being first. Or the only way you really lose in this life is if you quit. Yeah, you absolutely. Trying. Mm-hmm. And as if you don't give your best. And it's really the only time in my life, you know, you just got to get to a point where you say, no, this is not how my story is going to end. That could have been the end of my story, the end of the book. And at that point, the devil has written my story or, or, or voices in my head that aren't telling me the truth. That are, the, 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 the devil's a liar. And I'm hearing things that aren't true. Isn't that powerful to say the only way I really lose is if I quit? And let someone else write the end of my book. And and even if my book feels ugly or messy or tragic or sad, I'm the one writing that book. And then I can put those rose-colored glasses on and find some meaning and perspective and purpose. I just love how he says that winners win doesn't necessarily mean the score on the board at the end of the right. game. But the fact that you kept playing, you kept pushing, right. you kept giving. And that losers quit. The only right. loser is the person who quits. It's the quit. Yes. And so powerful. So powerful. Yeah. He needs to be out talking to everybody. Yeah. He's, <laughs> I know he's out there a lot. I know he feels a personal mission to try to help people like himself. And, and I know he really sees his wife and his kids and thinks what could have happened had he really left them. Had mm-hmm. he succeeded in his attempt to take his own life, how different their book would have had to been for them. And yeah. So, it rewrites everybody. It rewrites who, who the is, whole story. Who, left, right? You know that better than anyone. You've been impacted personally by this in your own life. And so how hard we work, how hard we work to try to hang on to the pen and be the one writing our story, knowing of course we're influenced and Mm -hmm. and there's other people involved. But at the end of the day, we, we get to write that story and what kind of a story will we write? Will we write again? Great episode. Again, it's about choosing, right? It It is about choosing. So at some point, even in the darkest of the dark, you have to realize that you have the power within you to make the difference. Yeah. And it's a choice. It is a choice. It's a very conscious choice. Yeah. Thank you to Babe for that great episode. If you Amazing. haven't heard it yet, go back and listen. It's powerful. It is. We'll make sure that every episode we've referred to in this best of is linked to easily in the show notes. So you can just go back and find it if if some of these were before you started listening or if you missed some or, or if you just want to listen again because they're that good. Yeah. All right, Michelle, what's our next best stuff? So We've got our next best stuff one. is my, my good friend, Monica, and she has lost a, a couple of her children and has been through just so many trials in life. She's taught me so much about loss. She's taught me about grief. She's taught me to not judge or evaluate grief or measure mm-hmm. someone's grief against my own. Sure. Um, she's a powerful example of that. But she has an analogy which so resonates with me, and it is the experience of grief that I experienced. We're going to listen to that clip right now. It was so hard. We had so many mutual friends and, and birthing women, doulas, and and um, people that I, I was there with, um, attending with. And I know that we all gathered a little bit together, and just we were just so heartbroken and yeah. just... So badly want it to be able to, you know, it's like when you're supporting that woman in labor and you just wish that you could take that one contraction. I just wish I could take one contraction for you. I just wanted to take five minutes of your grief. If we all could just carry five minutes of Monica's grief, would that, could that make it better? And of course you can't do that, but grief, 
for me was so like labor in reverse. Mm-hmm. I had waves that came like contractions. Yeah. Uh, they, they just did. And, and they would swell and they would overcome me and then they would ease and go and you cry. And as you go on throughout the years, or at least for me, as we went through time, those contractions, those grief contractions came further apart. Right. And there was more break in between. Oh, so powerful. And it feels just listening to her talk. I remember what it was like, not only in my grief after losing John, but in the process of actually losing John and not the grief portion, watching him ebb and flow in and out of life as he was on his last breath, as he was coming in and out of his consciousness. It is like uh, waves. Uh, The analogy that grief is like you're in the ocean, like sometimes it's a raging storm and you feel like you're being washed over and you're being sucked down by the waves. And then there are times where you are easily floating on the top of that water and you're at rest and you can be at peace. And it is grief is very much like that. As you well know, at first it's just a lot. It's a lot of tears. It's a lot of pain. It's just a lot. And then it starts to ease up and it starts to become less and less and it starts to, to have more time in between it. And it is a powerful analogy. I I feel like if you're a woman and you've given birth and you've experienced labor, then you can uh, tap into that same process and kind of understand the death and, and grieving process because it's really much of that in the exact opposite in the reverse. And that's such a powerful, um, analogy again, like you said, for those of us who have given birth to think that some of those contractions come out of the blue. Yeah. Um, sometimes you feel like you're bracing yourself for it because you had one. So, you know, another one's coming and sometimes the next one just knocks you right off your feet and, you're right. it, and it's too much. And you just want to like wave the white flag and say, I give, I'm I do done. love how yeah. she mentioned that. And you said the same thing as time goes by. It's not that those waves of grief go away. Right. It's not that we forget or time heals all wounds and all of a sudden it doesn't hurt. I think really we get a little stronger. Yeah. We become maybe a little more able to recognize when those waves of grief are coming or at least know ourselves a little better in the moment to know how to handle those waves. I'll admit there are still moments when that wave of grief comes out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll be fine. I'll almost anticipate big waves of grief that don't come. And then I'll be doing some mundane thing and a massive wave will hit me and I'm just a puddle on the floor. I've just gotten to the point where I can say, okay, this is part of this cycle. It's part of the journey. The wave's going to come. I'm going to remember how to swim and maybe right now I'm I just think what you're talking about is that moment of surrender. It is. Like we get used to it enough that when it comes, we finally are like, oh yeah, I remember you. Yeah. <laughs> and so we surrender to it. And once we hit that surrender, it can do what it has to do. We can feel our feelings. We can process it and then we can breathe. And when we are supporting Uh, other people who have gone through loss, it is like we do want to take that just one contraction away or that five minutes of grief. Can we just carry a little bit so that they don't have to carry the whole of it? I don't think I really experienced that as much as after I've experienced great loss myself, then I really have, have come to really want to do that so much more. I remember the first time I ever met you was at the viewing for Brent and you just hugged me. You connected and I wasn't sure that you would even know who I was, but you just hugged me and embraced me. And I was sitting there holding you and thinking, I just want to take, if I could just take this from you so you could just breathe and just be present to be here because it's so overwhelming. And I knew that there was a part of you very present And then a part of you very not because I had been through it just months earlier. Right. And how powerful that is because we do want to bear each other's burdens. Right. Mm -hmm. We want to mourn with those who are mourning. 
And though we can't physically take away all of that experience from another person, I truly believe we absolutely can help to carry it. I I think back to giving birth seven times, mm. and Brent couldn't take away my physical Nothing. pain. Mm-hmm. Neither neither could the nurse or the doctor. Mm. But having that support team with me in the labor and delivery room, you better believe that got me through That's what right. it was. And yep. so I think that that carries on with this analogy of grief that even if you can't physically take away or fix whatever's wrong, you just being there. That mm-hmm. embrace, that kindness, that warmth, that friendship, that might not take the whole contraction away, but it does give me the strength and the support I need to be able to take and face, in this case, the grief. And right. so we absolutely can strengthen each other. Slightly does help bear the other burden. Absolutely. And, and I and, would say more than slightly. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. All right. This and now, last one. Oof. This is a great one to end on and a great one to really, I hope, cause... Um, thought process for everyone who listens, but even more than that, I hope conversation. I hope that this, this last one is something that our listeners will talk to about with their families, with their children, with their friends. Um, very important topic. Um, Michelle, why don't you lead us into Ledger this Ledger is a beautiful young man, friend, uh, son of my friends, and beautiful, beautiful young man, and has struggled with suicidal ideation from a young age and was really tormented and tried to take his life a couple times, had a friend who took his life, who he discovered, adding to his trauma. And um, eventually he attempted to finally take his life. And he did that by driving his car off a cliff. It took a long period of time to really kick myself out of this mental health basically grave I was digging myself. I was digging myself in this hole deeper and deeper. It's the farther you dig yourself down, the harder it is to get out. I kind of decided, like, I need to change this. Like, this is not a way to live. I did not want to be wishing that my crash had succeeded. So I decided to work on myself. And this took a while, but I found a lot of tools to help myself get out of these head spaces and like to hope that everyone has resilience and sometimes it is not a quick recovery, but everyone has that option to keep fighting and to figure out what will help them out of this hole of mental illness that they are digging themselves into. Isn't that a powerful analogy to go from the analogy of giving birth and bringing life into the world to the analogy of digging a grave Brave. of your own mental health. And, of and your that own he doing. had, yeah. that he recognized he was digging it for himself and he had to take the time, the effort, the energy, the tools. I mean, he listed several things. He didn't just flip a coin and get out of that grave, no. but he had to recognize that he was digging it for himself. Right. And he, he has to take the steps every day to work on his mental health and, and well being. And every night when he goes to bed and he has a whole process. Listen to the episode. It's powerful. It is powerful. Again, he made the choice. I feel like sometimes we feel so powerless that we don't have choice in our trials and our struggles. We might not have choice in what the struggles are, but we have choice in how we respond and how we act and how we move forward. And that's going right back to Jeff and his rose-colored glasses and his method of being able to connect. Well, and how many times have we talked about this in this past year with different people, the concept of and or or. Mm-hmm. And I think we live in an or society. I can either or be but. or but. Yeah, yeah, I can either be happy or sad. Mm-hmm. I can find hope, but I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. When in reality, the right word would be and. Mm-hmm. Like Ledger can struggle with his mental health and choose one step at a time to keep fighting and keep looking for resources and reaching out for help and letting that help in. We can be heartbroken, devastated, despondent, and, and we can hopeful find joy. and optimistic and joy. Yeah. yeah. And I think, is that not what this podcast is all about? Yeah. This mm-hmm. this has been fun to kind of reflect. I mean, we could have picked any of the 50 episodes from the whole year and found a nugget or 10 in every episode. In every episode. That powerful. Highly recommend everybody listen to these. Well, I know that we've gotten some new listeners because I've been reached out in the last couple of weeks and said, oh my gosh, I'm listening. And now I'm listening to more and more and more. And so yeah. it's kind of like you start with one and then you just want to keep hearing more. And 
there has tended to be a lot of widow stories, and which was never our intention sure. with this podcast. I think it's easy to book those because so many people that we know are widows, and and it's and they know we're uh, widows, and so we're they, widows, so it's, it's a connected kind of energy and vibe. But we are branching out. And we're talking to um, Monica losing her children. Um, there's another great episode with Aaron and Jen who lost a child. In, um, in a drowning there's ledger who is dealing with mental health and he's young yeah. he's young and he's in the fight now right it's, it's not looking back it's not looking back he is taking the steps every day to fight for himself and um and and that's inspiring you know it's inspiring to to hear these stories and to realize it's not about being perfect it's about being in the process I love that. And that is exactly what we hope our listeners get out of this, that this is a process. Resilience is a process. It's a muscle you've got to keep working on. Yep. It's something we do together, not yep. in isolation. We let our vulnerabilities become our strengths by binding yep. us together. So to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us for all of 2021. It is hard to believe this year is coming to an end. We look forward to 2022. We would encourage any of you listening You've got a story. I know you, you do. You do have a story. You've learned to be resilient <laughs> through something in your life. It does not have to involve a funeral at the end, but it might. Yeah. If you're willing to share that real story and the real life tools you found to still live a happy and meaningful life, please reach out to us. Please share that story with us and with our listeners. You can find us through email at rrpodcast at ksl.com or just find us on social media, Facebook and Instagram. Send us a message. Make a comment on one of the pages for the Relentlessly Resilient podcast. And we would love to hear those stories and share those stories and learn from your stories. Absolutely. I think it's important today to kind of, there's a theme about being a beautiful disaster. We are all beautiful disasters. We all are. We all have our traumas. We all have our stories and we're all working at them to the level that we can be currently. And if you're here and you're taking a breath, you're doing your best. So remember, whatever you do today, remember to be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their lives. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.